Welcome to Women's HealthCast, a podcast from the University of Wisconsin Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. With this podcast, I'll be exploring issues and innovations around women's health with a little help from experts in the UW Department of OBGYN. For our inaugural episode, I talked to Deborah Arenthal, Director of the UW OBGYN Division of Reproductive and Population Health. I had some questions about infant mortality and health disparities, and Dr. Arenthal was the perfect person to add a little context to the issues and tell me more about new health disparities initiatives in our department. I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Deborah Arenthal for our first podcast to discuss racial health disparities. Thank you so much for being our first guest. Um, first, before we get started, I just want you to tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Um, I am so happy to be here to have a chance to talk with you, so thank you so much, Jackie. Um, I am an internist, um, trained in internal medicine, and uh, spent uh, much of my life, uh, my career working in internal medicine training programs, training residents and medical students in women's health. And I uh, became interested in the healthcare of reproductive age women, and that's when I became engaged with departments of obstetrics and gynecology, where a lot of those women receive care. Um, I worked for many years at a large academic community hospital system in the Mid-Atlantic, um, and while I was there, uh, in order to really uh, gain some skills and knowledge in this area, I did a master's degree in public health, which sort of brought it all together for me. Um, I moved here in 2014 uh, to join the Department of OBGYN and the Department of Ho- Population Health Sciences and to work to try to improve our training uh, and expertise in maternal and child health here at the school. Awesome. Um, why did you decide to focus your research on health disparities and health outcomes? That's a great question. In uh, the work that I did as an internist in women's health, I identified a lot of uh, opportunities to improve the way we deliver health care to women. Women receive care from uh, internists and primary care providers, which covers a lot of what is recommended, but not everything. And women also receive care in OBGYN departments, which again covers the other half of the landscape, but not necessarily primary care and prevention. And that led me to really think about how healthcare is delivered and how we think about the outcomes that matter for women. And you can't, it doesn't take long when you start looking to really identify health disparities because they're so dramatic, they're so pervasive, uh, and uh, they cross all um, health outcomes. So whether you're working in a medicine department, an OB department, pediatrics department, or what, or if you're working in public health, it's really hard to not think about health disparities as a primary critical area for us all to be addressing. So uh, in that work, we tried to bring together all these perspectives and try to identify strategies that we could use to try to impact health disparities from a healthcare perspective, but also from a more public health and community perspective. Oh, yeah. 
So I'm really interested in your perspective on a particular issue um, that's recently come up. I mean, I know it's not a new issue at all, Mm -hmm. um, as I'm sure we'll get to talk about. But uh, in January, the National Center for Health Statistics out of the CDC released their state-by-state infant mortality numbers, and Wisconsin has the highest rate of African-American infant mortality in the country. Um, So to take it even a a step further back, can you tell us how infant mortality is measured? Mm Mm-hmm. Infant mortality is uh, is a, a indicator of community health. Uh, infant mortality is defined as the number of babies who were born who don't make it to their first birthday. So it's a rate, um, and it's a rate that we identify systematically across every state and community. So it enables us to really compare the health of communities across the country. Um, It also gives us a way to compare the health of Americans to the health of folks in other countries. Oh, true. And when we do that comparison, we also see pretty poor outcomes in the United States, especially compared to similarly developed countries. Yeah, how do we stack up? We stack up poorly. Okay. and there's been a lot of research to try to understand why we do so badly. There was a period where people denied that we do badly, and they said, oh, it's because you know, we try to save very tiny babies, and the Europeans don't count them. But that does not explain the difference. The differences um, are really thought to be related to the social determinants of health, which is what's really happening uh, and is really amplified in the African-American population. Um, so what contributes to health? Um, we think about health care as our strategy to maintaining and improving health. Um, and health care is really important, especially for some, uh, for very preterm babies. Health care has really made a huge difference in their health outcomes. For maternal mortality, healthcare has made a huge difference. Uh, saving moms from postpartum hemorrhage, um, struct- obstructed labor, healthcare matters. But if you look broadly at what um, factors are important to health, healthcare contributes maybe 20%. Oh. Yeah. We also tend to think, well, is it, maybe it's individual health behaviors, because we think a lot about. Health, what we consider to be healthy behaviors and unhealthy behaviors. Cigarette smoking is a great example. Tobacco use uh, increases risk of uh, low birth weight babies. And uh, tobacco use increases risk of heart disease and various kinds of cancers. So smoking is important and healthy behaviors in terms of physical activity, diet, all of that's important, but that also contributes another small sliver, maybe 20 or 30%. Okay, so what's making up the rest? <laughs> so the rest of it is what is now called the social determinants of health. And what that includes are factors such as socioeconomic status, education, and the environment. In addition, um, While we think about socioeconomic status as uh, wealth and income and education, 
What's also likely contributing to the African-American disparities is experiences of racism in America. Interestingly, um, uh, black women who were born outside of the country have infant mortality rates that look a whole lot like white women. The I... rates are high in this country among women who's, uh, who were born in the U.S. And there's a lot of evidence that continues to accumulate that the stressful lives related to uh, structural racism, individual experiences of racism, are contributing to these poor outcomes. I know I was just reading uh, a study that sounds almost exactly like what you just mentioned of um, immigrant women from African countries who's uh, had babies with you know, law, um, older gestational age and mm -hmm. um, more uh, healthy birth weights, and mm -hmm. then their daughters, that, mm -hmm. like, first generation being born in the country, um, suddenly it was experiencing these much poorer birth outcomes. Yep. Yeah, so let me, let me um, speak to that first. You know, part of the reason it's so important for us to recognize these differences in outcomes between women growing up in the U.S. and women coming uh, from outside the U.S. is it really basically negates the theory that this is genetic. And that was really dry. That's really what people understood it to be. There's nothing we can do. This is genetic. This makes it pretty clear. It's unlikely that genetics is really responsible for what's a threefold higher risk of infant mortality. Um, and it really speaks to the social context and the experience of being in the U.S. Um, if we think about what's, uh, what the leading causes of death are in the U.S., the top three causes are preterm birth, birth defects, and uh, sudden infant death syndrome. Um, among African-American women, what's driving the poor outcomes for blacks is preterm birth. And preterm birth, uh, from the medical perspective, is divided into two groups. Um, one is women who have pregnancy complications and they come in for care and uh, their physician recommends early delivery, either because they have high blood pressure, or the baby isn't growing well, or something else is happening. That's a piece of it. But the other critical piece is spontaneous preterm birth. And those are women who come in in preterm labor or with ruptured membranes, and there are no medical strategies to stop that. So once you're in labor, it's very hard to extend it's really hard to keep the baby inside, so the baby's delivered. And the theory that most people believe uh, connects the experience of being black in America with preterm birth is stress. That the stress of that experience that accumulates over the lifetime of that woman until she shows up for care and uh, pregnant, that that accumulated stress leads to some through some kind of biological pathway to, to premature delivery. Okay. So are there 
um, disparities related to race or income that show up in other areas of women's health beyond um, infant mortality? That's such a great question. You know, before I came here, I was working in a state that had ranked number two in preterm birth among African-Americans. So another uh, similar disparity. Um, And, you know, people, you know, why is that? You know, what is it about how we're either counting deaths or, you know, how can we explain this away? And, you know, one might be tempted to, to find some reason why this isn't really true. It just shows up as a, as a numbers problem. What I find to be really critical for people to understand is it doesn't just show up here. It shows up broadly. Um, mortality, you know, uh, um, life expectancy is shorter. Cardiovascular disease mortality rates are higher. Cancer mortality rates are higher. Everywhere you look, you see very similar disparities. So again, it doesn't necessarily speak to factors only related to childbirth. It's really broadly about health. And many of the same uh, things that we consider to be risk factors for things like cardiovascular disease are the same risk factors that also drive adverse pregnancy outcomes. So you can see that it's all highly connected and the root cause is is very similar across all of these uh, adverse health problems or uh, experiences of poor health. Again, sort of validating infant mortality is a measure of the health of a community. Not only are infant mortality rates high, maternal mortality rates are also much higher um, for black women having babies. In a, uh, in a um, kind of recently emerging data, because we're doing a much better job identifying women's deaths related to pregnancy. And so we tend to think a lot about infant mortality because it's better measured, mm-hmm. but we need to really understand that this is about the whole, you know, mom and kid uh, in terms of these outcomes. Yeah. So what next, I guess, what's happening um, nationally from policy to uh, like medical policy mm-hmm. and like national organizations like ACOG or other things um, thinking about how to be helpful. What, what can you tell us about what's next? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great question. So, uh, so what are we doing? So I talked about kind of the different things that contribute to health, health care, individual behaviors, and the social determinants of health. And uh, these all point to different strategies uh, to improve health. The healthcare system uh, has built a very strong, robust setting to improve the survival of very small or sick babies. That's really where healthcare has had a huge impact and has also worked to try to uh, identify kids who are going to have birth defects and help better counsel moms around those genetic causes. Uh, We talked about sudden infant death syndrome as being the third leading cause of death, and there have been a lot of uh, work using uh, 
community teams to study cause of death in, in uh, infants that has really uncovered unsafe sleep as being a part of sudden infant death syndrome, and that has led to a lot of both health care and public health messaging and training around safe sleep. And those are all really important. We've expanded access to health care through expansion of Medicaid uh, by, uh, in some places, doing a good job locating community health centers where they need to be and federally qualified health centers where they need to be by increasing access in some settings to family planning, counseling, including contraception, including highly effective and reversible methods that many women want. Um, so healthcare strategies are important. We help counsel women to stop smoking, talk with them about healthier behaviors. But again, that's only a piece of the puzzle. The other thing that the healthcare system has done, and hand in hand with the public health care system is try to improve um, the quality of health care broadly for women and babies. So one of the innovations that has had a huge impact on maternal mortality are perinatal quality collaboratives. So states launch these. They get leaders at different delivery hospitals together and they talk about how to improve the quality of care around obstetrical emergencies, things like that. So less postpartum hemorrhage that, that isn't optimally treated. And those have been highly effective strategies. Um, but we also need to move beyond that. So there's been a lot of interest in what's called preconception healthcare. So helping uh, healthcare providers and women understand there are some things that can be done before a uh, pregnancy that can improve health. So that's been another initiative, uh, kind of hand in hand with public health and health care. Um, but, you know, that doesn't really get to the root cause of problems. Um, so there have been a lot of policy strategies that people have tried to launch, in addition to Medicaid, you know, expansion and quality collaboratives, but really focused on the root causes related to the social determinants of health. Some of those include um, earned income tax credit, uh, which gives families more resources to help take care of kids. Um, some of the... Uh, uh, efforts around increasing minimum wage have been really working to try to improve, uh, again, family resources uh, to help decrease stress and, and improve pregnancy outcomes. There are folks interested in understanding how eviction, uh, it turns out, if you look to see who's evicted, women and children are really overrepresented in that group. So how much is that contributing? Um, but broadly, um, uh, efforts to try to kind of increase social support, increase financial support to women and young families uh, are other strategies to try to uh, make a difference here. So... On a more uh, local level, and especially local to our department, um, mm -hmm. we recently launched a new division of reproductive and population health, of which you are the director. 
Um, so what is that division doing? Tell me a little bit about your goals in the next few years and um, how you foresee the work of that division uh, helping improve some health disparities across the state and beyond. This is a really exciting uh, idea, I think, to have a division like this in an OBGYN department. And I think that the point is that all, you know, is, is to recognize just what we've been talking about, that uh, healthcare matters and quality healthcare matters uh, to outcomes for women and children. But we need to be thinking beyond that as well and thinking about uh, how they work together, uh, uh, and what the different strategies are that we as physician need, physicians need to recognize uh, and help coordinate with that can help support women and their families. So the vision for this division is to really bring together clinicians with researchers in health disparities and population health and reproductive health care um, and build uh, a research uh, um, division that can really test some of these ideas um, and help build an evidence base to support some of these inter interventions. Um, it's a really different kind of research than the basic science research that tends to happen in medical schools. Some of it is about uh, uh, translating what we know from randomized studies into practice. Some of it's about uh, trying to develop an evidence base for non-randomized interventions that are out there now and really understand if they're effective and how to make them more effective and, and, and who to target with those interventions. And then the other thing to do is really think about these other social and behavioral factors and how we can understand their impact on these health outcomes that we really care about. So we have a research base that we are building, and we also have folks in the division who work with communities uh, to try to find best strategies to engaging people across different uh, stakeholders, different priority groups, different regions to come together around policies in healthcare or public health uh, or even beyond that that we think all make a difference, that we all agree make a difference, and come together to help provide the evidence to people who really want to take that forward. Um, what are you going to focus on first? Are there any uh, areas of research that you're looking into right away, like um, contraceptive access or uh, anything yeah. that's on the docket? Um, so I can tell you what people are doing now. So this is a new division. And much of it is bringing together people already working in some of this area where we see a lot of synergy. So yes, access to contraception is a really um, key issue right now uh, in this country. Um, it's, it's funny, there's been a lot of real great progress in improved contraceptives that are safe and reliable, uh, that women like using. Um, but it takes a long time for healthcare to take these discoveries and get them out there. I mean, it takes on average 17 years for new innovations to be taken up. What? Yeah. So that's a really long time. And obviously some things get taken up really quickly. Um, and we could 
have a whole separate discussion on why that is. And some take longer, but we see these um, uh, new contraceptive methods as being really key in enabling uh, girls and women to finish their education, uh, to uh, enter the labor force if they want to, and to plan their families to best meet their own personal and family needs. And uh, so rather than waiting 17 years for this to fully get taken up, we're really trying to accelerate that a little bit. So yeah, a lot of focus on contraception, where it's provided, what the barriers are to different methods, and strategies to try to improve that care delivery. Uh, one member of the division is doing really creative work on the health of women after discharge, after they've had their babies and go home. And she's been focusing on women who have had high blood pressure during pregnancy, which is the leading cause of morbidity and mortality for women and babies during pregnancy. And it turns out that at, even after they go home, they're often very disconnected from healthcare and can really run into problems and be readmitted and, uh, and develop uh, really important complications. So she has been studying this period and developed a really neat uh, way for them to remain connected, for their blood pressure to be monitored, which looks very promising in terms of decreasing illness and, and decreasing a need to come into the hospital, which is very disruptive when you have a newborn at home. Yeah, so I read a little bit about her study. So they were sending um, mothers home with a blood pressure cuff mm -hmm. and a tablet that they could track their own blood pressure um, every day or a couple times a day. That information would get sent to a nurse who could follow up with them if there was anything concerning. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think she enrolled over 100 patients with zero readmissions mm -hmm. for that trial period, which was really exciting. Yeah. So, so you know, how can you know what what are the possibilities for that? So she's going to need to retest it on different populations. But to me, that's a new way to think about providing care because once you're connected with somebody, you can help them address all sorts of other things as well. So it's really that's you described it really well. Um, and, you know, I think it's very promising. So we're really spanning all different kinds of research uh, that uh, are sort of at the interface between healthcare and public health and communities. Women's HealthCast is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. Next time on Women's HealthCast, I'll be joined by Kristen Sharp. Dr. Sharp is the director of the UW Centering Pregnancy Program, and we'll discuss myths about pregnancy and facts about group prenatal care.